Hello! Thanks for downloading this podcast. Just a quick note to say that we've changed the name from Fight Back to the next round. We think the new title gives a more future-facing angle to our conversations with marketing and business leaders as they chat to us about the next round for their businesses. Enjoy this episode and make sure to subscribe. We're planning Series 3 now and it should be with you later this year. This is Fight Back, the innovation podcast. Hello and welcome to Fight Back. I'm your host, Robin Charney. I've been in digital marketing and innovation for over 20 years, having worked at tech brands like Adobe. I now work at AAR, where we help brands to design, build, and drive high-performing marketing ecosystems. I started Fightback because I was tired of startups and scale-ups getting the spotlight as the new engines of growth and marketing savviness, the new business heroes we're all supposed to emulate. I didn't see anyone telling the story of innovation from the point of view of brands with a little history and heritage, a little grey around the temples, if you will. It's kind of a modern-day David versus Goliath story, except I'm more interested in the Goliaths, especially given our recent history where the Davids have had an even bigger advantage as we've all interacted with platforms way more than people recently. In each episode, I chat with someone leading the fight back from a brand we've all heard of about their innovation story. It can be anything from marketing to business transformation, but it will always be bullshit-free and personal, with something for you to take away and apply to your own business. This stuff is hard, so I want to share the good news where I can. In this episode, I'm chatting with someone with whom I have a lot in common, as we both grew up in Montreal, Canada. He started his career building websites in the 90s, which makes him part geek, which I love. Since then, he's worked in a variety of sectors, including tech. In fact, I think we both worked at Adobe together, consumer goods, retail, and most recently restaurants. He's worked at M&S building brands and digital, and now leads all innovation and customer experience for KFC in the UK. I'm really looking forward to this one, as I'm a huge fan of the work KFC has done of late. Welcome and bienvenue, Ira Dubinsky. Hey, Ira. Welcome to Fight Back. Hi, Robin. Hi. Thank you so much. I love that intro, by the way. The intro to your show and, and, uh, and, and everything sounds great. Oh, thanks. I had to throw in a little Canadian French in there just to show that, you know, we were doing it bilingually, at least for the at least for the beginning. KFC is one of the best known fast food brands in the world. You've got 140 countries and 900 restaurants in the UK. I was shocked by that. I didn't realize there were so many. So tell me a bit about what fight are you in? Who or what are you most worried about and why? Yeah, so really good question, Robin. Um, it's, uh, I'd, I'd say probably a few things come to mind. So I think given the current context and kind of what the world is going through, you know, I'd be remiss and I and I really wouldn't be honest if I didn't say that we're in a fight and I'm in a fight against, um, you know, COVID-19. It is a, it's an absolutely sort of stunning and almost sometimes overwhelming and still staggering and surprising to see how this has brought the world in many ways to its knees, you know, on like both personal and professional levels. And so, um, I think another fight that is really kind of important for us and always has been is just being aware of the intense competition that we face in our space, you know? So, you know, I, I won't call out, you know, you know, too many specific names, but obviously whether it's McDonald's or Burger King or Subway or even some of the other players that sell chicken that you wouldn't necessarily think of as um, as direct competitors, they are still relevant. And so keeping an eye on, on what our competitors are doing and uh, what trends and what consumer needs and what occasions and 
and uh, opportunities they're going after and what we might want to learn from uh, in that context, you know, that's a fight that we're always in. And I think in business, you, you know, that's a, that's a natural fight to always be in and kind of part of the fun, part of the competitiveness of, of being of doing the work that mm-hmm. we do. Um, and then I think, you know, and again, this one is probably a bit predictable and very much on the theme of your, of your program. I think we're in a fight against, you know, evolving consumer expectations and trends around the use of digital. You know, I think probably I was fortunate to be, um, on the front lines of another industry and another business that was, you know, heavily disrupted by, you know, sort of e-commerce and, and the kind of move to digital commerce, um, with kind of the clothing side of, of M&S in particular, hmm. I think restaurants and food service, it's, it's been a bit, it's been a bit slower and it's only been of late and probably been accelerated by COVID that that has become a real, a real fight and, and a real sort of disruptive force. And so that's another one I would cite. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just, you know, there, there's, you know, in the last few years, the move towards I want it right now, I don't want to wait, and I just want to hit a button and expect food, hot food to be delivered to my house instantly, has changed dramatically. I mean, no one would have thought that it would have been so overwhelmingly fast. It, it feels very fast all of a sudden. I remember even like five years ago, you wouldn't have expected food to be delivered to your house in that way. You ordered from the Little Indian or Chinese takeaway, and those were your options, weren't they? It's it's amazing how quickly the market has shifted. So out of all those fights, and I mean, you know, we've got consumer expectation, competition, and just, you know, just for an extra bit of fun, a bit of global pandemic thrown in there to make your life so much easier. Which one of those, which one of those are you most worried about? Which one of those keeps you up at night? Um, I think it's probably you know, this kind of like shift to digital and the, the the sort of change in people's perceptions and expectations around getting what they want, when they want it, where they want it. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think you put it very well. And I think that is probably, you know, it's both what keeps me up at night and gives me sort of pause, but also it's what gets me out of bed and gets me kind of really excited and, and energized. Um, it is kind of on on the whole in the UK, still a small proportion of like food service sales, you know, most, you know, most people, you know, would still, you know, sort of interact with restaurants or restaurant brands in, in kind of more of the traditional channels, but it is growing very, very quickly. And there are a number of players out there in terms of the, you know, sort of the delivery um, partners that we work mm-hmm. with, which who are really helping, frankly, to, to grow the penetration of our business and of businesses like ours in that digital space. And that that's really interesting to be a part of. Absolutely. And I mean, KFC, you know, I think of KFC, you have such a great founder story, right? You've got the Colonel, I mean, born in 1890. I had no idea. I mean, that's, yeah. that's proper, proper heritage, you know, selling roadside chicken and the Great Depression. You've got a great history and a great founder story. How does that or does that manifest itself today, you know, 100 years later, more than 100 years later, does that kind of come through? I think it does. Yeah, I think it does in, in a few ways. I mean, we are super proud and, and, and energized every day by the fact that we were founded as a business by, you know, a real man with a real story, an entrepreneur who had a recipe, he had a product that he loved and that he had kind of um, you know, put his own sweat and tears into and that he wanted to share with people. And there's a real sense of sort of Southern hospitality that comes through the Colonel mm-hmm. story. In fact, if you think about one of the most iconic products that we sell or the one of the most iconic formats for us is our bucket of chicken, mm-hmm. which is really designed for sharing. And we're one of the few food brands and food service businesses that sells products specifically for sharing. And so there is this real sense of hospitality and an entrepreneurial spirit that comes from the Colonel. 
and um, really does permeate everything that we do. Um, I think we could probably lean in even even harder to that entrepreneurial spirit. You know, I think we could always, you know, be more agile and work even more quickly. But there is a really exciting culture in our business around always uh, trying to improve things and driving, you know, you know, an, an, an iterative approach, I suppose, to our problems, to our work, where we learn from our mistakes or we learn from our successes and we go again. And I think that, you know, if you read the history, that is literally what the colonel did. And that's what that's what we do every day. Of course. And you're I mean, you've got a really interesting job title, actually, one I haven't come across, like you often have innovation people and marketing people, and they're kind of separate, right? They kind of live in their, you know, silos within within the organization, innovation goes off and does its thing and marketing does its thing. But you've your director of innovation and customer experience. And I'd love to hear a bit more about a what you mean by customer experience, because that's one of those loaded terms that we all have. But I think it's a really interesting combination. And what's the I guess, what's the thinking behind that? It's a, it's, a, it's a good question. And I guess the first thing to say is I feel really very fortunate and, and lucky um, to, to have this role that is a really unique role, I think, in the industry and a unique combination of, of, uh, of teams and of, of areas in the, in the business. Um, I do sit within, within marketing, and, and I think that is a really important decision that KFC have made that um, product development, product innovation, and customer experience um, are all sort of key elements of our brand and of who we are as a business. And ultimately, they're what drive um, drive the business and are part of the sales engine of the business. And so we, you know, we do sit within marketing. So we've got, you know, we've got product development in the most traditional sense. We've got um, NPD and uh, and a bit of, you know, kind of optimization of existing products. And so I'm so fortunate to have, you know, proper like chefs and food technologists that work with me. Um, and, you know, in many ways, it's probably the most important part of our customer experience is the food that we sell, the food that you eat, whether you get that from a uh, delivery driver who's brought that to your house in an insulated bag and sort of hands it to you at your front door or leaves it on your on your porch or whatever, mm-hmm. um, or whether you get that, you know, from one of our team members in a restaurant, you know, that food is absolutely what the brand is all about. So really uh, fortunate to have a team that kind of are the guardians of taste and flavor and development of the food. The way that we've set up our area is that we do have the food, but we also have the ability to monitor and to influence, to drive the strategy for, and in many cases to develop all the other aspects of the customer experience. So that would be things like service. So the way in which our team members behave in restaurant, how they talk to customers, you know, what's expected of them, um, how we monitor, you know, service, how we measure our customer experience, um, and, uh, and how we refine and improve and enhance that. Um, you know, all the time based on customer expectations, based on, you know, the needs of the business. Um, You know, it's interesting to think about now customers ordering on their mobiles or using other technology, you know, how does that then change the service expectation that they might have? And speaking of of mobiles, you know, that's another part of the experience is the way people order in those digital channels. So we also have a team that leads the future thinking and the strategy around those ordering channels and those digital elements of the experience. And so you put all that together in my area and and it's sort of like the end-to-end experience. So we don't drive and trade the business. You know, we have a, we have a more, um, a sort of more kind of commercially focused or calendar focused marketing team um, that I partner with very closely that does that sort of day-to-day driving of the business. But anything new that's going to hit the market, anything new that's going to hit the business, whether it's a product or a service, 
Um, that comes from our team and the ability to monitor that total customer experience, to measure it and to drive continuous improvement of that total experience that would sort of come from our area as well. So look, it's it's early days. You know, we, we've set ourselves up this way. We're going to see how it goes. It's huge amount of collaboration with other teams, huge amount of influencing required um, and lots of learning all the time. Um, there's a lot of the stuff I've never done before and uh, I'm learning all the time, but it, it is a really cool role to have. I think it makes absolute sense to, for a for marketing to own the product, which you know in a lot of companies it doesn't. You know, the, one of my bugbears is that marketing has often been relegated to the comms department and making the pretty things. Um, so I'm thrilled to hear that you own product and and service as well. I think those two things are key for marketing to own in order to you know in order to grow the business. Right, the marketing's job is to deliver growth, and if you don't own all the points and all the touch points, uh, I think it's really hard for marketing to do its job. And I yeah. just want to ask you so quick question about do you think because of all your ordering channels do you think covid is going to be the thing that finally ushers in the era of voice for marketing you know when we're not touching anything anymore i'm just curious because we've been talking about the you know just like we used to talk about the era of mobile for years and years is this going to be the thing that that tips it over for voice you know it might be it's hard for me to say i try not to be a sort of futurist or you know sort of prophesize what well, what's to come you know i I'm personally like a real kind of observer of, of what's happening in voice. I think it's really interesting, but I do also think it's still probably at that beginning of that adoption mm. curve in terms of like mm-hmm. mainstream uses for it. Um, it is still, I think for some customers, there is a, uh, still a barrier to feeling like they're going to get what they, what they want and that the system is going to totally understand their needs and their wishes. Um, I think there are operational and, you know, technological barriers for big brands like ours. So I think, I think we're still a ways away from it hitting the mainstream, I think, but I do think it's really interesting. And like, like all those digital trends, like COVID is definitely accelerating it. So it'll be an interesting one to, to keep an eye on. And I guess it's also, it's quite ironic that, you know, the drive-through where you order by voice in the old fashioned way, right? Yep. <laughs> and, and, which no one could understand or hear you properly. Yep. But I just think it's it's fascinating to see. I know when you reopened, there were queues two hours long, weren't there yeah. in the UK of people? And and you know, the drive through feels like something from a bygone era, doesn't oh, it? It wasn't you, it's you, not the new digital touch point. <laughs> you you hit the nail on the head. We have a we have a a crack team, a task force on drive through now. <laughs> I love which, it. Which <laughs> and I'm I'm sort of ashamed to admit it, but we probably wouldn't have given it the same love and the same attention six months ago. You know, we knew Knew that there was probably you know some room for innovation there and, and some room you know for technology, but we're the, the focus on it and the growth of that channel for us and the need to innovate there um, that has never been never been greater. And you know if if there was an opportunity to use voice ordering there, I think we'd certainly look at it. Um, but again, as I say, I think you know um, I think it remains to be seen. But yeah, uh, yeah certainly think- it's a channel ripe for innovation. No. No one would have expected queues for two hours, would they, at, uh, at a drive-through in the UK? It yep. was just fascinating. It was fascinating. Um, talk to me a bit about. We've touched on it a little bit, but you know, specifically the lockdown experience for KFC and marketing. I mean, how did you pivot from finger licking good to you know that great ad? I remember when you guys reopened, you had that fantastic ad where people were you know where you were kind of highlighting all the KFC people had made at home, and that was a real kind of cultural moment, wasn't it, during lockdown, where people everywhere we're making their own attempting to make their own KFC what's been your experience with that very early on within you know a couple of weeks of the disease taking hold in the UK we took the decision to to close all of our restaurants almost sort of gut wrenching you know sort of pity your stomach type of decision because you know that's the lifeblood of our business and to see literally the lights off 
uh, across the country was for all of our team members, uh, 27,000 frontline team members, and for you know all of our head office colleagues, like just really difficult and sad and soul destroying. But we did it because we knew that we couldn't operate safely uh, for our team members, and they they were the priority, and and doing right by them was was the the imperative at that stage. It took us a few weeks, and what we did is we just did a huge amount of detailed work looking at how we could operate the business and how we could trade the business in a way that would be safe for both those team members and for customers. Part of that involved simplifying the menu. So there was an element of almost, it is innovation, but it was kind of reverse innovation in figuring out, okay, what are the minim, minimal number of items that we could you know, cook fresh in our restaurants, serve to customers that would meet their needs and allow us to kind of operate in this safe way. It was really interesting to observe over the course of the lockdown, how people were engaging, I would say with food in general, you know, I love to cook. Um, I love to read cookbooks. I love to learn about food from all over the world. And I, I thought it was just so inspiring to see, you know, people getting into whether it was baking, you know, or bread or, you know, whatever people were doing. Did you lock down sourdough, Ira? I didn't, I didn't sourdough. I did do a fair amount of baking, but bread isn't, uh, you know, sourdough bread isn't something I've yet taken the pledge into. I make my own (laughs) focaccia. I personally was really just, like inspired and and really delighted to see how lots of people were approaching food in general and including things like KFC and you know it was amazing the lengths that some of our fans went to try to replicate our you know our distinct flavors our our secret recipe um, in their own kitchens and uh, it was actually at first something that you know you know many of us were just kind of observing and taking note of and then it was one of the members of our social media team. John, who's, uh, you know, just so clever and so switched on and tuned into kind of what's happening in the world of social, who, you know, came up with this idea that you could actually turn this into a real campaign and activation and that there was a role for the for the brand in this quite a cheeky irreverent role, which was to rate people's KFC and to basically have, you know, John himself (laughs) based solely on the images and the descriptions of these products. The power. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Tell people whether they had, you know, how they had done. And, And of course, an opportunity to really take the mickey a little bit uh, from people. And, you know, no one, no one quite made it, obviously, in, in John's estimation. And that just, just, you know, one thing led to another, and it gave us great fodder. And we've got a brilliant marketing team. And it just gave us, you know, great um, material to use when we ultimately kind of come out of the gates and say, you know, we're open again, we'd love to see you, um, you know, and and this kind of famous line now of, you know, we've, we, we've got this now, you know, thanks for trying, but <laughs> step uh, away but from the frying pan. But we've got this. So, you know, brilliant, I, I don't take any of the credit. Brilliant copywriting and yeah. creative from from both our team and and their team. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I love that ad. Do you do you know the recipe? Do you get to know the recipe when you join KFC? Do they tell you? I don't actually. No, I don't know the secret oh. recipe. I know probably a bit more about it now than I did before I joined, but I I actually don't know the secret recipe. No. Who does know it? Do you know? Oh, who I think knows? there's like a small number of people. There's there's a couple <laughs> of senior executives and maybe someone in our kind of food science team and uh, you know some of the some of the key suppliers that we work with. But you know the 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 it's closely guarded. What can I say? It's that's that's another wow. level of innovation there. That that sure is. I mean, even IKEA gave away the meatball recipe. Come on, <laughs> guys. You know they help people during lockdown to make the meatballs. You guys are holding out on us. Moving on to the innovation side, 
Um, And apart from COVID, what have you done innovation-wise in the year you've been there, Ira? What have you been doing? Yeah, well, you know, there's a a huge amount of excitement and uh, and energy in the team around uh, a product that actually today you can't get everywhere, uh, as in in all of our restaurants, because we're just sort of in the process of still going back to our full menu as a result of the the whole sort of social distancing in our kitchens for COVID. Um, and that product is, is our vegan burger. Oh, nice. Um, and so that was actually a huge amount of work done by the team before I joined. And I, I was just there for the sort of tail end of launching the product and, you know, joined a, a few of the, the sort of key meetings towards the end. Um, but we're really, really excited by the way in which that um, product has just opened our doors to um, a new customer and a new, a new way of eating and a new way of thinking. Um, it's, a, it's a vegan burger that's got the original recipe coating. And honestly, it, it tastes amazing. Um, and uh, we're really proud of, of that as one innovation um, that we hope to, to to have it back again on on most of our menus in the in, in in the future. And you know what my vote is for, right? For the next menu item, we've discussed this, and I'm <laughs> going to be very very disappointed if we don't see poutine on the menu in the poutine, KFC. Right? Not necessarily <laughs> vegan, though, right? Not so we, not vegan. I'm sure they've made a vegan version somewhere. There probably but, is. Yeah. You know, as Canadians, I feel it's our oh, duty. Man. I love a good poutine. That's the first thing I go and get. I usually drop the kids off with my mom and put them to bed, and then you know head to somewhere in to Lafleur's. Yeah, Lafleur's or some of the some of the places downtown that have really good poutine. And um, I miss that actually. Made oh, me think for, of it. I know for for our listeners in the UK, poutine is a um, French Canadian delicacy of basically chips, gravy, and squeaky cheese. But, you know, it's, it's magic. And in, certainly in Canada, it's on the menu for quite a few fast food restaurants. So as, this is my one woman fight to get it onto the menus in the UK. Um, right. At least, at least in the ones near me, Ira. So just, just a note. Okay, I'm taking it under advisement. <laughs> Please I can't do. make any promises. Please but, do. Yeah. I'm happy to come into the kitchen to help, you know, help to, to help develop the recipe. It. All I'll right, well, I might it. take you up on that just for a bit of fun. <laughs> we can we can eat poutine together in in our oh, test kitchen. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. And you're obviously a guy with a kind of expansive mind, and you read cookbooks, and you're you know, you're out in the world, and you're kind of interested and curious. Where do you get your innovation inspiration from? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I do, I do think we're so lucky in this day and age to have at our fingertips like a huge amount of information, almost like an overwhelming source of inspiration and information that lots of people, uh, you know, who came before us didn't have. So I'd be remiss if I didn't cite something like Instagram, where I can easily, in you know, a few minutes, see what lots of my sort of favorite, you know, friends and family, but also kind of you know, favorite kind of cookbook authors or columnists or journalists in the food space, what they're cooking, what they're eating, what they're talking about. Um, I do read, you know, the traditional kind of food, you know, blogs and and food magazines as well, um, you know, and that's that's in the in the food space. But in terms of innovation, I think the best source of inspiration for me anyway, when I think about the kind of total customer experience is just to always put myself in the customer's shoes and just spend as much as time as I can kind of in, in, in the market. Um, I love to do that when I travel as well, because it's really interesting to see what's happening in other parts of the world, you know, what's new, what's different out there. And I do, I do actually find observing customer behavior um, to be inspiring and uh, and to use that as a source for, you know, innovative thinking as well. Wow, I really want to know who you follow on Instagram and who which, which, <laughs> which chefs inspire you. But, I'll, but I'll, I'll save that because that's going to take us on to a tangent. But is there anyone out there who you think, you know, wow, they've nailed it? In the food space? In any space. Hmm. I mean, in terms of the customer experience and in terms of kind of who inspires me 
in terms of the way they approach kind of my needs as a customer, um, I'm I'm really happy to call out and and am a big advocate for Acado. I think mm. that the business they've built in in this market and the way in which they're you know helping other similar uh, retailers and other markets to develop their e-commerce offering is really impressive. I think that the way in which they responded to the pandemic and the way they turned around their product in order to respond to the you know spike in demand that they saw was really impressive. So I think in terms of food, it's, it's hard to pick one. I mean, one comment I would make about food that I've been reflecting on personally is just with the whole sort of focus on race and racism um, in the US and the Black Lives Matter movement, what I actually was reflecting on is that I didn't know a lot about like food that was cooked by black chefs or food that had come from kind of Afro-Caribbean kind of, um, you know, sort of backgrounds. And so I found myself just trying to kind of learn more about that space and the Mm -hmm. intersection of race and food. So I know I'm getting a little bit off topic here, but um, it's something that I've definitely been thinking more about and trying to take inspiration, I suppose, from places that maybe either consciously or subconsciously, I just hadn't been looking at, I guess. I don't think it's off topic because, I mean, you know, I was joking about poutine, but, you know, there is this kind of, there is a cultural affinity with the people you serve in the regions you serve them in, right? So, you know, lots of restaurants um, flex their menu to local custom, to local food traditions, because, you know, you're, it's not a monolith, right? The world isn't all, you know, middle-aged white men, you know, you're, you're serving, you're serving customers in the Middle East, you're serving customers in Africa, right? So uh, I don't think it is off topic, actually. I think it's hugely relevant to, to look at how KFC, you know, and with your marketing and growth hat on, you know, where's your growth going to come from, right? Where are you going to open more restaurants? It's going to be in the, in the developing world, right? We do think about that and think about, you know, what are the the right ways to grow and and who our customers are and and how to meet their needs and expectations for sure. You know, on the one hand, we have to be grounded in kind of our history as a brand and our heritage and and Mm. the sort of, you know, south of the the U.S. where we came from and the recipe and food that comes from there. Um, but equally, we have to be in tune with our customer in the UK. And the vegan burger is a great example of mm. that. I mean, the colonel would never have imagined in a million years <laughs> uh, that type of meat substitute. Um, yeah. but, but yet we've done it in a way that is relevant and modern and, and very much connected to our, to, to our heritage. Amazing. Well, I'm going to wrap it up there and thank you so much and put in my extra plea for poutine and say, you know, it's been a really good chat. Thank you so much. It's always lovely to speak to someone from home and we could go off on many a tangent. I mean, I haven't even, we haven't even had the bagel conversation, but (laughs) I'm going to stop myself there and say, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for coming on Fight Back. I hope, uh, I hope you've enjoyed the chat. I have really enjoyed the chat. Thank you so much for having me, Robin. Thanks, Ira. 